0: Hello listeners and welcome to COVID Coffee Chats at UCalgary, a podcast brought to you by the Taylor Institute for Teaching and Learning. My name is Maya Anderson, and I'll be your host for this podcast. I'm a grad student in the Workland School of Education, and I'm interested in finding out more about teaching and learning during COVID-19. I feel like we all have incredible stories and insights about how this pandemic has changed our lives and how it's changed the way we teach and the way we learn. So each episode, I'll chat with a Calgarian and get their take on what teaching and learning has been like during COVID-19. And perhaps if we share these stories, we can learn a thing or two. So pour yourself a cup of coffee and enjoy the show. All right, so with me this afternoon I have Dr. John Holash with me. Can you start by giving us a brief introduction to who you are and what you do here at UCalgary?
1: Well, I am an instructor here at the University of Calgary and I teach in the Faculty of Kinesiology. My main focus is exercise health and human performance, but in addition to that I also uh, got my PhD in computational biology. So I looked at how muscles work in a complete computer simulation simuliza- simulation, and uh, then was able to test them in ways that you can't normally test a muscle and also visualize it in ways that you can't normally visualize it. So it allows us to explore the, the concept of the very, very small in a way that's foreign to most of us.
0: Interesting. Wow, that's fantastic. Has that helped you with? transitioning to more
1: of a digital world? Oh, probably. I, I have a very, very strong skill set in computers and technology. So I think the transition to online and digital, I was a little bit more comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's it's been, I, I can't say that it's been an easy transition because it's just been a lot of work. And I probably have also... Because I'm familiar with the technology, I've created myself certain standards that are quite high. And uh, it can be a work to achieve those things at some point in time. Beyond that, I'm I'm a pretty active person. I'm a native Calgarian. And uh, I'm a pretty active person in the community. I started out my career doing as an environmental scientist. And then I left that and I became a backcountry guide for a number of years. I transitioned from that into more of a research focus, and uh, then I specialized in computers and computer technology for a while, and then I, uh, it's just the reminder that I've got a meter now, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> oh will it ever stop, <laughs> um, sorry, where was I?
0: You were telling us about your experience backcountry and and everything that you do outside of Utah. Yeah,
1: so so now I'm a master's athlete still. I, I compete in biathlon and I enjoy competitive road cycling in the summer.
0: So we are interested in hearing stories about teaching and learning through COVID. So how are things going for you?
1: Things at this point in time are actually going pretty well. I think my students are managing with the challenges that are being presented to them through the aspect of online learning. But like I said, it it has been a challenge and it continues to be one. So
0: what are some of those things that are particularly challenging?
1: What's particularly challenging? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Well, I I think it's the aspect of, there's much more critical review about what I'm presenting right now. Um, potentially on the, on the behalf of the students, but more impactful from myself. Because, uh, you know, in, in a traditional kind of lecture situation, I stand up, I present a lecture, and it's done. It's one hour, and I move on to the next lecture. And now when I'm, I'm rec- pre recording lectures, I'm slicing them up into smaller blocks so that they can be delivered in, in more concise packages and then though I edit them and when I edit them I see things that I missed. I'm aware of comments that I maybe should have made so at times I can add little subtitles and text and it's like I'm actually I actually refer to this at this point in time. (laughs) It didn't come out quite right now that I'm watching it and things like that so the the process of making a, a lecture is is much more critically focused and of course it expands the amount of time that it takes to do
0: Absolutely. I can imagine a lot of time goes into that. So do you use those uh, through your LMS to um, allow students to view lectures at any time, or do you have synchronous sessions too?
1: Yeah, I, I, I allow students to do it um, asynchronously at any time that suits them as it turns out because of the flexibility that was generated with this COVID crisis, I actually have students that are attending my class from all over the world. I've mm-hmm. got three or four students that are currently in China. I've got students down the California coast who are attending, and I've got two or three in other locations that are, are placed around. So the reality of that, they, I could have forced them all to be in a synchronous online pace, but I realized that it was probably most advantageous for me to record things and then let them consume it at their own pace and at their own time.
0: Excellent. Do you offer any synchronous times where people can actually get together or is it mostly just?
1: Yeah, actually I do. I, 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 because, because I've been able to pre-record lectures and put them out and stack them on the LMS, it's actually allowed me to have that time where I would have traditionally held a class to be open and have, what I refer to as open office hours where people can drop in and it can just be a social. It doesn't need to be anything about the course. It can just be a social interaction about uh, what things are going on or how they're feeling about the course. It's just open time so they can drop in and drop out.
0: Excellent. So how have students reacted to that? Have they, do they actually come to those office hours?
1: Some of them, yeah. I've, I've had office hours where I've had up to 25 students all there and they're kind of just listening some of them don't even want to talk they just kind of want to be part of that larger group discussion or see what other students are asking and at other points of times it be directed uh, questions what did you mean when you said this how do i incorporate this piece of knowledge into my daily life kind of thing
0: so i I imagine that's really helped to build a, a community of learners with with all of your learners
1: it has. The other interesting thing I did and it was it was on the advice of taking a how to teach online course is that I started off the course by giving away a free mark basically to anybody and I asked them kind of a silly question like, who are you, what do you do? That, that wasn't a silly question. <laughs> but who are you, like, why are you interested in this course? And then the silly question, it was like, you're at a party and somebody gives you a bowl of Neapolitan ice cream. What do you do? And so just kind of going through everybody's response to those questions, I actually got to learn a lot about my students in ways that I've never been aware of before. So it it was kind of this very strange thing where I don't know them by their faces as well as I normally would and I don't know them as distinct people in that way where I can pick them out in a crowd Mm -hmm. but on the other hand I've read lots of information about their background and who they are and why they're interested in taking my course and how they came to be here and you know then just answers from that quirky response give me an aspect of what their sense of humor is and and you know how playful they are with the answer and and those kind of things and so it's it's really been i think i'm going to do it for all my courses because it was really fun
0: oh that's really neat that's actually quite fun that's a a really good way to to get to know your students in a different way that we're not always used to doing so that's great yeah and i
1: i was i was pretty unex- I, I i didn't know what to expect from it and i was really pleasantly surprised it was really interesting to get to know uh, both these students' lives.
0: That sounds like that was quite successful. So what have been the other successes of this experience for you?
1: Well, I think the the interesting thing is that I didn't really consider it at the time, but when you're delivering a lecture via video format directly to somebody, you have the ability to grab their attention in a way more focused environment than you would in a normalized classroom setting where they're distracted by peers, what things are going on. They potentially have their computer screens up. You know, On that computer screen, they're maybe taking notes. They're probably also watching a YouTube video at the same point in time, right? Mm-hmm. Or updating their Facebook status or any of those things. When you deliver your video via that modality, so you're talking to them via their computer, You seem to focus more of their attention directly at you and the content. And as long as you keep it somewhat succinct in a block period of time, they can really, you really get a message across. And then I found the other real benefit was, is that because you break things down to smaller chunks, you can then ask them to go do things in between those lectures that you couldn't in a normal classroom setting. So I can give them perhaps a 10-minute talk on um, P-hacking, let's say, uh, probability hacking in in research science. And then I can say, go listen to this podcast and I can put a link or watch this video or go consume this TED Talk or read this article and then come back to the rest of the video because the rest of my lecture will make more sense. So it's really given me that opportunity to blend the experience a lot more and add a lot more content than I normally could in a, in a regular traditional class.
0: So moving forward, what do you hope will change or continue from this experience, either if we're continuing here in online world or when we move back to face-to-face eventually?
1: Well, I, I hope to some extent that we can learn some of the lessons that we've learned through this kind of model and offer much more of a blended approach. I also think that my personal, I personally have evolved quite a bit in the way that I've thought about, um, what's the term, evaluation now, how I'm evaluating students' content because doing things in a very traditional way, they don't really work that well. It's like uh, the largest question that often you hear people talking about is this uh, student's academic misconduct, right? Oh, suddenly students are cheating and it's not so much you're not going to change somebody's moral compass by simply changing the modality to which you're delivering content um, what we tend to do though is that I think as a university we've made this this education extraordinarily high stakes and achieving excellence is of paramount um, Uh, value to these students right bursaries depend upon it scholarships depend upon it Um, admission to other institutions all depend upon this one aspect which is their mark so if you leave your assessment point as very infrequent pieces and very high stakes you create an environment where you almost incentivize students to find the best strategy to the best results for themselves. And then people are surprised when they, when they try to do that. Well, that's kind of what you've asked them to do. (laughs) So in, in the course I'm teaching now, and I think in the courses that I'll teach in the winter, um, I've really changed the way that I've been doing assessment. So I have much more frequent assessment, but much lower stakes. I then, uh, randomly choose as the course builds, I, I have content that's being pulled from different periods of time that I've gone over that gets randomly assorted into these assessment points. So they always kind of build on the content from last term. You can't just remember the content, forget it. And then uh, I got rid of like big midterms and, and the final.
0: Excellent. So how have the students reacted to all of that?
1: Well, as far as I know, like when I talk to them, and um, that you know, actually talk, I've, I've got a very large class. And so I, I'm working with a data sample here of maybe around 30 students that actually talk to you. Um, but with that, um, that I've talked to actually really, really appreciate that.
0: Mm-hmm. I can imagine having that formative assessment as they're going through and not that high stakes pressure at the end would probably do wonders for their mental health as well.
1: Well, I, I hope so. They you know they have had challenges always keeping on track of the assignments, and I've had way more requests to for deferrals for exams, for um, you know, to be able to hand stuff in late. Of course, that's another nice thing about the flexibility of the the platform is that in most cases, I can grant that to them without, without any big concerns.
0: In terms of, uh, so for kinesiology, I imagine there's some kind of experiential learning part to things. How have you been able to manage that through distance?
1: That's probably been the, the biggest difficulty is trying to get them access to resources or specialized equipment that we have for doing things, hands-on learning, Um, doing tests and measures with their peers that's that's been a real real challenge and that's that's one place where I can see that the online session no matter how well we try to do that um, it's it's going to be very difficult to try to teach people how to do body composition measurements like skinfold assessments when they can't when they don't have access to skinfold calipers and they don't have access to other people because part of the part of the beauty of that kind of laboratory assessment is just the experience of how everybody has a different body type and how do you meet the challenges of somebody with really really potentially really tight skin where it's very hard to to get pinch a skin fold Mm -hmm. or somebody with really loose skin that it's very easy to pinch a skin fold and how there's so many different changes in between those things that's 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 going to be the probably the biggest challenge to do. You know we, we've got different ways to kind of address it is it going to be as good i don't think so mm-hmm. it would be nice to be able to do different things like be able to like have equipment that we could send out to people as packages and then they could try even in their own households or things but obviously that would take a whole another level, level and layer of development and resources and planning and things that are pretty difficult to come by these days.
0: I bet. So what have you uh, done instead of doing those things? Have you modified your program?
1: Yeah, well, we've modified it so that we do we do a video discussion of it, we try to convey some of those aspects of the difficulty to students by, by demonstrating it on video. We give them data sets to work with afterwards so that they can manipulate the data. Um, and that's that's about the best we can do at this point in time we also encourage students like in the class that i've got where we're doing it um, students actually end up having to lead sections of those assessments and so as a group what they need to do is that they need to find an alternate form to report that and then they need to convey it back to the rest of their group or class via video or a link or something like that and so on one hand it's been really good it's, it's exposing them to the need to um, express themselves via alternate forms and videos just like we're having to do as instructors
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and um, it's causing them to be very very creative instead of a, a linear planner with that because now how do I assess this in a completely different situation than I normally would
0: so thinking back to the beginning of all of this and when we actually had to transition into distance learning, is there anything that you wish you had known back then?
1: Hmm. Is there anything I wish I had known? Oh, yeah, there's so much. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would have. I would have made some of the transitions that I'm making now to my courses earlier, breaking them down a little bit more. Uh, changing the way that people are doing things, the way that assessment works. Um, The planning has kind of been really, really important because I found for myself, there's, there's two conditions I can be in. I can be in, I'm a week ahead. And if I'm a week ahead, at least I'm a very calm, rational, reasonable person. If I'm Rate right up and doing things off the hoof all the time. I'm exhausted, I'm tired, I feel overwhelmed. Um, yeah.
0: Absolutely. I'm sure we can all learn from that and, and empathize with that for sure. Um, so yeah. before we go, is there anything else that you'd like to share with us?
1: I think one of the big things I've found in it's probably changed my teaching style quite a bit is that uh, kindness and empathy go a tremendous away in helping everybody deal with it. And it's, it's, a, it's, it's a necessary aspect. I think that you have to be kind and empathetic towards your students um, so that when it flips to you, that they will be able to show some kindness and empathy towards you. When you maybe get a lecture out a day late or you have an assignment that's not quite as polished as you would like, they can maybe be a little forgiving of, of the instructors and all of the things that they're needing to kind of balance and mm-hmm. develop.
0: That's excellent advice and uh, something that we can definitely all gravitate towards and understand, in, especially in this time. Have you found that your students are quite empathetic to you in this scenario?
1: Um, initially, Initially, I don't think that they really were, right? They were so overwhelmed with the... With what it was to them to suddenly have to transition, mm-hmm. I don't think they were. I think they were in a shock stage.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Some of them were, right? Some of them, some of them were. I can't can't make a blank statement about anything, but I think the overwhelming stress was so much that it was there was a reaction that that upped the demands for everybody. And I think that's changed. The other thing I, I would probably state is that. It's really caused me to reflect on the importance of like the collegial environment and how absolutely wonderful it was to be able to just informally walk over two doors and talk to my colleague about something, some aspect, some, you know, get clarification, get a dose of reality. Sometimes (laughs) this, this person's complaining about this. What do you think? You know, don't worry about it. Or uh, what should I do on this assignment? Should I do this? And just being able to go down and ask the student programmers, what's, what's your advice, right? And get an answer directly, instead of everything being a piece of written communication.
0: Well, I think that's all the questions I have for you right now, but thank you so much for spending the time with me and sharing your insights and thoughts.
1: Oh, you're very welcome.
0: Well, folks, that was my coffee chat with John Holash. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It was great to hear your insights and thoughts on teaching and learning through COVID. And thank you to you for listening. For more information on the project, visit the website at covidcoffeechats.ucalgaryblogs.ca. And if you'd like to connect with me, feel free to email me at maya.anderson at ucalgary.ca. Take care and see you next time.